Hey, you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble falling asleep? Well, welcome. I, I think, I hope you're in the right place. This is uh, Game of Drones. This is a Game of Drones presented by Sleep With Me. It's a Game of Thrones podcast that's here to put you to sleep. We do it with an episode discussion. All you have to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. We're going to do the rest. If this is your first time here, you might be like, what, what the... Wait, wait, I'm sorry, Game of Thrones sleep podcast? What in the hell are you talking about? Uh, you know... What are you, some from the other side of the wall where people hibernate? This is a... Okay, hold on. Take a breath. Basically, I'm going to talk about Game of Thrones. And maybe this episode, I think, clocked in right around 50 minutes. Hopefully, I'll get my episode done. Hopefully, I'll get my introduction done with, with uh, before, you know, 50 minutes. Then I'll talk about the episode... And I'll go on and I'll say, hey, you know, how how come Bronn's hair's so dark? You know, and then I'll say, what, geez, do they color their hair in the Middle Ages? Men, did men color their hair in the Middle Ages? And then I'll say, oh, I'll try to make a joke. Then I'll, there'll be an awkward silence, even though there's no audience, uh, you know, still. And then that's, so that's the episode part. And then I'll say, no, we're not talking about Middle Age hair dye. But I say, uh, you know, okay, after I talk about the episode, I'll say, well, geez, I looked into this middle-aged hair dye. Turns out, great story, incredibly, uh, you know, and then I'll talk like that. Probably clock in hour and a half, two hours, maybe over two hours. So all you do is you get in bed, you turn on this podcast, you say, well... You say, well, I mean, usually in my mind I'm thinking about all this stuff. I've, I've got, you know, all these lists... All these goals, all these dreams, but but it really, you know, come around bedtime, it kind of weighs on me. There's a chatter increases, the blabbering increases. What I say, the the proposal of this podcast is, I'll do the blabbering. You do, you do some barely listening. Instead of listening to all the chattering in your head, I'll distract you with ban- banter that isn't even inane. As you say, well, it's a and I'll just talk. You listen. I'm not going to, you know, no, your self-worth is not involved here. And, uh, you, you know, I'll just go on. I'll say, well, say I like to say Ashkash Bagash a lot in the intros, but in the episodes I don't. But I'm the kind of guy who uses Ashkash Bagash as a punchline. And, you know, obviously if you go to a comedy club, you're not going to see that because it's not a, viscerally funny it's like well jesus guy he's still going on he's still talking about ashkash bagash that's the point is uh my trouble getting to one and so that's it that's the deal uh for a while we were calling it your boar friend i could be your boar friend new proposal out today uh boar bros you know, some of you that say well i don't know if i want a boar friend you know gender neutral as well but you say well yeah, could we be boar bros or well, boar, boar sibs? Yeah, how about boar sibs? The uh, reason I say boar bros is I found season two's episode of Silicon Valley absolutely hilarious. So if you haven't checked that out, it comes on after Game of Thrones. So, you know, come on. So that's it. That's a podcast. It's a podcast to try to distract you, to put you to sleep. I hope it, I hope it works for you. If you're the first time here, you say, well, give it a couple of tries. I don't, you know, I don't charge. Meter's not running. It doesn't bother me if you don't listen to me. 
So where else are you going to get that offer? If you don't like Game of Thrones, we have episodes that come out on uh, uh, Tuesday and Thursday that don't have Game of Thrones content. But that's it. We're on the web, www.sleepwithmepodcast.com. Game of Drones episodes are at sleepwithmepodcast.com slash drones. You can get a hold of me on Twitter at Dearest Scooter, the Facebook. Feedback at sleepwithmepodcast is the email. You can comment on the website. And, you know, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, Tuesday, Thursday, we have nine Game of Thrones episodes. And that's it. I hope I help you fall asleep. And uh, I'm glad you're here. It's time for some uh, gratitude. Crone, sweet, sweet Crone, Miller, Smith, Barky, Jester. Just we'll thank you. Thank you, time. Quick thank yous. I want to thank you guys for all the support I get from Chris Posty Posterson over at Sounds Like an Earful.com, who does our music. That's his podcast. I want to thank you for Scott, Sir Scotty, Lady Jennifer, who took care of all our artwork. Lord and Lady of the podcast, they don't get enough attention because, you know, because they say, well, she's, uh, you know, they just rule so well. That, you know, I said, well, they haven't been defenestrated by the defenestrator. So many, I, I, I can't even, I can't even get to the endless people that are always around to thank you. Well, Silvertone, he's been busy toning it up. As I record this, I think he's singing somewhere. Over on Twitter, I want to thank you for Heidi. Uh, John S., he wrote us a nice little poem. Uh, Stacy, our buddy, Brandy D, a new listener, said hi. Andy, Gamma out there spreading the word. Lindsay, spreading the word. Castile, I think that's how you say Castile. Castile, my original boar bro. Uh, thank you. On Facebook, I want to thank Catherine. Saren, that's Aaron with an S. Saren, right? Aaron, Saren, Saren. Saren, is it? Can you, can you have a silent S? I say Aaron with an S. I said, well, it's just probably not enough information for me because I'm dense uh, for sure. But I said, you know, out of respect for Saren, I won't, uh, well, is it more respectful? But thank you for real. Thank you, Saren. Or Aaron, Saren. 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 It's probably just like that. Aaron. Saren. Right? Pat Green, our buddy, his book's getting close to launch, I think. Katarina, Katarina from Sweden, you know, said, hey, geez, you, you love the podcast. I said, oh, geez, you didn't, did you know the podcast loves Sweden? She said, no, but, you know, pretty standard thing for people, especially males, to love Sweden. And then I said, well, does every male that loves Sweden dress their dog in a Swedish? And then there's this whole thing with, I think they said, uh, the Swedish consulate showed up here, and they said something about their flag. And I said, would you like some applesauce, my friends? And I said, the country, and, uh, and I think we worked it out. I said, they said, I said, I said, I said yeah, I said, yeah, no extradition or something. I don't know. They call, I, I think they were calling me Edward Snowden. Or was, I don't know, but I think it's fine. I love Sweden. And I love to see the Swedish listeners. I also want to thank Joel, Laura, Linda, Julie, 
email. Oh, yeah, double emails from Faye's. One Faye with an E, one Faye with a Y. Our Faye with an E's got a show coming up here, so we want to wish her well luck. And our friend Faye with a Y has got a transatlantic trip coming up, so we want to wish her well. Alexandra, uh, you know, is always supporting us with great ideas and laughs. Noel or no, no, oh, no, Noel, how do I say your name once again today? Lucy, Vanessa, Carol, Lauren, uh, Divinus, I'm all sending you out emails. Thank you. SoundCloud, King Seamus, 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 uh, thank you. And then uh, our buddy David T. over on the comments on the website, he said, hey, Freakonomics is working on a, a, a sleep uh, episode or how do you get to sleep? So if you guys, you know, if you listen to Freakonomics podcast, you know, let them know about this podcast. Say, hey, let's talk about freak. There's a freak with a sleep. There's no nomics. There's brain bots. And I could say, well, the brain bots sometimes make a nomic, nomic, oh, nomic, nomic. And it probably doesn't, that doesn't work. So freaky. They say, well, you're not a freak. You're more weird, strange. Strange, not nomics. Uh, so, but anyway, if you, if you listen to the Freakonomics podcast, let them know. Uh, say, hey, it's just, this is one thing I sleep to. This, uh, this man with a sleep podcast. Uh, or maybe a boy. He, he's a he's a man and he, he's a man boy with a bit of sleep. Well, sleep related a podcast to try to put you to sleep. We wouldn't say it's a sleep pod, but anyway, yeah. We you know let them know over on iTunes. I want to thank Julia J with a knee. Julia J knee. Reviewing the podcast. Uh, I've been listening for a year. Wow, can't sleep at night without it. Music soothing. It's effective. My voice is soothing. I just wish he'd post more. I don't know what that symbol is. It's not coming through on what I'm looking at it on. The Emotocon. Uh, kudos. And uh, keep listening. Thank you. And if you want to help the podcast, say, hey. Hey, if you can review and rate us in iTunes, subscribe in iTunes. That, that's going to help the podcast a ton because they say, well, geez, it's some sort of mathematical thingamajig. So that's it. Let's get on with the show. What do you say? All right. So tonight we're talking about Sons of Harpy, season four, season five, episode four, not season five, episode four. Yeah, season five, episode four, not season four, episode five. So we have six episodes left. The Sons of the Harpy. So you start to think, huh, Sons of the Harpy. We know who those guys are. Wait, why is the episode called Sons of the Harpy? Well, you say, okay, well, oh boy, let me hit that microphone. But it's it, episode starts out, there's a boat at night. There's a fisherman, beautiful, beautiful night sky. And then the fisherman gets hit, you know, taken out. It's like, who, who, who's stealing a, what is that, Return of the Hound? And then it's like, oh, it's Jorah. And he does this look. I don't know if you, you're going to rewatch the episode. 
but he does this incredibly silly look to double check if at like two in the morning anybody is watching him steal a poor old man's boat. He looks both ways, like, and he just looks a little bit ridiculous. Uh, see anybody seeing me? Because I'm going to be rowing this boat across the narrow sea or wherever the hell he's rowing to. But then he leaves the guy some money. Again, I, I like Sir Jor. I don't want to criticize him twice in five seconds. But he put the coin. The guy's passed out in in water. Uh, one, it's like, okay, what what happens if the tide comes in? Are you, you, you sure the guy's going to wake up? Two, okay, he's in water. You assume it's like muddy. He puts the coin inside the guy's chest. What if the guy rolls over? The coins fall off. So, um, you know, Sir Jor doesn't always make the best choices. Clearly, he's he hasn't learned. Uh, then he grabs, he throws Tyrion in the boat. He's really rough on Tyrion. I'm like, hey, buddy, uh, that's a human head you're throwing around there. You know, geez, calm it down. And then it goes from that boat to suddenly it transfers to this big ship at daytime. And uh, it, it was like this big ship, a lot of activity, waves are churning the sea. And you see Jamie looking out at like almost like a Hawaiian vista. And he's like, hey, is that Eastmont or something? And they're like, no, no, it's Carth. He says, oh, no, it's Carth, Sir Jamie. And then they go down into the hold and bronze throwing knives, and he's just wasting rice. I was like, dude, uh, this guy's trying to make a living here, shipping stuff, and you're throwing your knife around. I don't know. Bronze usually a thoughtful guy. I said, geez, I thought you were a man of the working class, but that says to me that your upper-class ways now have gotten to you. And then they, they're talking about the Dornish, and Bronn's like, you know, they're good fighters. He's like, you know, Dorn, you really want to go there for either one thing or the other, fighting or sex, but not both. Is that what he says? Oh, no, no. So he says, you know, Bronn's like, you know, these Dornish people, they, they're good at, they, they love two things. And pardon my language, fucking and fighting, he says. And he says, you know, we really, you know, these are passionate people, I think is his point. And then they're talking, well, she says, they're good, you know, are you, I kind of like feel like they should have, you know, he'd be like, hey, are you a pre-fight, you like sex before fights or after it? There was a little misdebate to see their friendship. I, was, I, I like it after. It's like, then you're all bloody as you do. Well, before, you know, then you want to nap, and then you're like, well, geez, i got to fight this guy. And they kind of talk about, oh, geez, that could, could clear your head. You know, they work together. And Brian's like, you know, we're going to do a lot of fighting, but I don't, you know, I think we're going to be hightailing it the hell out of there because uh, we're kidnapping their princess. And Jamie's like, we're rescue. It's not a kidnap. It's a rescue. And Brian's like, you know, I do this shit all the time. You know, I'm good at it. You know, what, what, why are we doing this? What, what the hell you got me into? And Jamie's playing a little bit coy. And Bron's like, clearly, if you're reading his face, he's like, dude, I know what the hell's going on. I'm just, you know, this is some meta communication I'm dropping on you to see what our trust level is. You're failing this test of our trust level by dancing around. He's like, you know, why you? Why go rescue your daughter? 
He doesn't say that, obviously. He, that would have been funny if he was like, uh, tried that. I guess I'm no brawn, and I think I just accidentally said that. But if he did, Jamie would be like, yeah, well, I need to rescue my daughter. And then he'd be like, oh, whoops, I mean my niece. And then Bron's like, you know, I know. He says, well, geez, uh, do you let your brother go. Your sister was probably pretty mad about that. And Jamie's like, oh, you know, do, how do you like my new haircut? Does it match my red leather shirt? And Bron's like, dude, come on, uh, show some vulnerability here. And he's like, uh, he's like, by the way, if you see your brother, tell him I said hi. He's like, Jamie's like, if I see him, I'm going to take him out. He's really complicated my life uh, by killing my father. So then the next scene we have is small council meeting. And again, I, I'm, I'm sorry to the wonderful actor playing uh, Mace Tyrell, but he, he's a brilliant comic actor because he is playing this boob and he's doing a little account. He's like, okay, I've been doing some accounting here and we're pretty much screwed. But how about this? He goes, you know, we owe the Iron Bank this much money. He, he goes, uh, you know, how about this? I, I just give you the money. And then he's like, and if you guys don't pay me back, I'll have words with my daughter, Marjorie. And it's like, dude, how do you kiss that? I mean, oh, man, it was like, uh, how the hell do you? Oh, I wish Oleana was there to slap him. Uh, but then even uh, Cersei's like, you know, I, I prefer my villainy more complicated She's like, we're going to arrange better terms with uh, the, the Iron Bank. And, uh, you know, it's going to be uh, you and Sir Marin uh, going, you know, why don't you guys go out to the Iron Bank? I trust you. Mace, you're brilliant. He's like, he, you know, straightens his shirt. Oh, yes, that was, yes, my dear. Did you see me open the door last episode, my dear? I'm pretty, yeah. And, and anyone that watches the show, it's clearly uh, be, being sent off with, a, uh, 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 with Sir Marin is not a good thing. And then Cersei even kind of gives a little laugh, like uh, almost like Mace is a puppy. And she's like, okay, yeah, I'm sending you off to the farm full of other puppies to live in joy forever. Uh, go to the Iron Bank. And then uh, she says, safe travels. And then uh, I think uh, the, the buffoon, I had looked up his name and now I already forgot it. The guy disliked the Maester. Oh, whatever his name is. The guy looks like he smells bad. He says the small council grows smaller. And she has a, She says not small enough. Oh, that was a gold line. And then we have a, a, a scroll with a Baelish's Mockingbird symbol on it. And this wonderfully uh, tall glass of wine. And uh, Cersei's like, hey, you want some wine, your holiness? So she says, you, you, would you like a glass of wine or, or a jug? I prefer my wine in a jug, your holiness. And he's like, actually, I don't drink it. He's like, nothing against it. He's like, I just don't like the taste. He, this guy's got very, he, he's a great communicator, which makes me tough to figure out what the hell is going on here. But he says, how may I serve you or something, my dear? And then Cersei goes on her little, well, you know, religion, we got some religious, uh, anti-religious sentiment going here. People burning churches, attacking nuns, holy men. And he says, well, you know, this is a war, wartime. You know, he goes, uh, people are taking up swords and not praying. 
And then Cersei brings up this faith militant, which is like, uh, yeah, this faith militant, which is like uh, some sort of religious army, which, oh boy, you put those two words together. And he says, well, they haven't had that in 200 years because the last time we did it, you know, everybody, remember when we started doing those things with the oil and the boiling and the, and she says, well, let me talk to Tom and he's kind of spineless. I think we can get it going again. And she says, you know, an army for, for the good or whatever you would choose, Father, you know. But remember, I'm in charge. You're in charge. And he says, you know, honor I don't, I didn't expect or wish for. And she's like, well, that was not, this is Star Wars-y too. She says, and that is why you were chosen. And then she has this wonderful line, which we, the first time I watched this episode, I was like, she says, uh, too often the wicked or the wealthiest are beyond the reach of justice. Uh, the king can't always punish those who deserve it most. And he says, well, all singer, sinners are equal. And she says, she gets this look on her face. She says, uh, what would you say if I told you we have a great sinner in our own midst, shielded by golden privilege? And the priest says, eh, well, may the father judge him justly. And I said, is she, is she like uh, creating rapport by calling herself a sinner? The first time I watched it, that's what I thought. And I was like, I, I was struck. I was like, wow, or is she, what is Cersei up to here? And I still, even after watching it twice, I say, what, what the hell is she up to here? And, and then we go right into uh, a religious fervor scene where they cover all the bases. They say, hey, we're, we're taking this, uh, we're, we're, we don't have a Bible to thump. Or a uh, whatever the hell, but we're going to, you know, say they go straight to the place where they're selling icons or iconography, like statues, tchotchkes. They're like, look at this. This is, uh, these are crone finger puppets. And they chop that and they start smashing all the statues. The guy's like, my marionettes, why? And, you know, they wrap the marionettes. It's terrible. And then they go and they start. They go. Uh, they go anti booze. They're busting up the the booze or whatever beer. I don't know. I think it was beer. I was like, oh no. And then they bust in and they see people having sex. They're like attacking the people having sex. And then you know they even go further and it's very uncomfortable. Well, she's just a very anti-sex and anti, very anti-gay, and it's it's like uh, very painful to watch. They're cru- particularly cruel, and and then they ha- they have this scene the whole time where they're carving uh, something in uh, what has some sort of a symbol into uh, Lancel's forehead. And I said, well, wait a second, guys. I, I, I actually, I said, wait, so the religious guys, I said, okay, so you're uh, you're saying the body is some kind of temple. You can't have sex. You can't have the kind of sex you want to have, depending, you know, you can't have sex with who you want to. You can't have sex. You can't get drunk. You can't get a statue that's more convenient to say, hey, I'd like to pray to this mini crone. But so the body is a, a temple or sa- sacred hey, we're going to carve some symbols into it so you know who's, you know, the most sacred. Hey, you know, you don't, don't mess with anything that's going to be impure for your body. But when we cut, you know, but we can, you know, we'll, we'll carve, you know. And I say, whoa, whoa, guys. 
So probably a good thing I don't live in uh, there, whatever the hell it is. King, I probably wouldn't have made it already five, four seasons. But I would have said, hey, what the heck? That's probably, and then they would have chased me. And then I said, hey, what, why, why, when did you guys change your robes? I thought you guys were in burlap. And now you're in some sort of brown bur- – or uh, you went from brown burlap to something. I said, well, geez, I, I thought, you know, what the heck? But but then they go after uh, uh, Loris, and you say, oh, man, this is definitely some sort of uh, terrible fund- – I say, well, it's a similar to a fundamentalism we've seen in our country, America, and, and in other parts of the world. Like where it's like, Jesus, this is how we do things. Everything, anyone that doesn't do it our way is 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 bad or wrong. And poor Loris, he's busy trying to, you know, he's doing, he's you know, polishing his fighting skills to defend the kingdom. They say, hey, you're 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 busted. You're coming with us. So then the next scene is uh, is both uh, sad and funny because Tom and is sitting down to like this giant buffet of food about to have his, like, uh, lunch that was probably served to him. I think it was on a silver platter. could have been on a gold platter. I think there was someone, he was eating off of someone's back. I'm not positive about that, though. But Marjorie's like, what, what, the, what the fuck, dude? And he's like, I'm sorry, dear. I, I'm having, uh, would you like some roast chicken? Some pomegranate juice? And and she says, uh, what, what what's going on out there? There's some sort of religious... Uh, in the last, like, four minutes, you can't get a statue to pray to. You can't get a drink. And only, you can only have sex in the missionary position when you're watched by four creepy dudes in uh, black burlap sacks. And he says, did you say we're going to have sex? And she said, no, not, not, not for a long time, buddy. And she says, what the hell's your mom doing? You, she ordered my brother arrested. And he's like, well, "What do you mean, mother? It, it's a whole, it's a holy day today, dear." And she's like, "Your mother is, you know." And he's, he's, he, poor Tom. And someone said that to me, and now I'm like thinking, but he, he's just a little. Uh, he's the Tom, and we know and love. He just shouldn't be king. And she, Marjorie tries. Uh, she gets mad, and then she says, "Okay, that's not going to work with him." And she says, "Come on, my sweet little prince. Can you can you take care of this? You know, tell your mother to let my brother go." And he says, I'll do it, honey buns. I'm doing it. And then he goes and marches into his mother's uh, office, I guess. I was like, where Where are we? I, I was a little disoriented. And he says, I demand Sir Loris be freed now. And Marjorie, she says, well, I'm sorry, honey. I, didn't, I don't have anything to do with it. I'm just a... Uh, She's like, I'm just here sipping wine, uh, you know, wine, red wine's legal. It's just the, uh, the the white wines and the ales that are illegal. And uh, she's got this smug look on her face. And it's like a plausible denial city, I think. And Tom is like, Mom, and she's like, well, actually, you signed the order, darling. Uh, you know, I can't help it. It's said in fine print, uh, you know, uh, go against stuff most reasonable people believe is okay, uh, you know, but only, you know, in the judgment of the high sparrow. And then Tom says, Mother, uh, I was having sex, you know, now I'm not, well, come on. 
and she just she just smiles like with her, she ha, she likes holding her cup to her lips and smiling behind it very again uh like a, a kid in a candy store and if i can get on my soapbox here for all of Cersei's uh, speeches about how much she cares for her children, uh, this is child abuse. Uh, I mean, in some sense, the way she's uh, abusing her son, you know, maybe not a, uh, a, a, but a way a reasonable person would say, hey, that's not okay to keep, treat your kid. He's king. You're supposed to help him. And, you know, he, you know that's a, a human being. Loris is a nice guy. And you didn't seem to have a problem with whatever was going on at Baelish's establishment, you know, one day ago. But mostly it just comes out of the Tommen thing. It's like you're putting your son, uh, it's a little bit different, manipulation and uh, I don't know the word, but Jesus, uh, just, it just it, it, it hurt me. And maybe that's because I, I, I know Tommen so well. And how innocent he really is, but it, and it's like, well, this is the lady that was going to give him nightshade. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, she sends Tom and right into the lion's den, and uh, he goes. He says, "Okay, uh, so soldiers that are loyal to me, let's go." And they go up to the try to get to the church. They're blocked by the Faith Militant guys. The one guy's bald. The the, the lead crony. Reminds me of that guy from like Midnight Oil a video that I saw one time, I think. And I think someone said, Oh, that guy's got a PhD in rocket scientists, rocket science or something. But yeah, but Tommen's like, Hey, do you guys mind if I talk to the High Sparrow? They're like, No. I mean, I thought one thing was interesting with soldiers, whoever was the lead soldier, he's like, Hey, well, hey, Tommen, we could kick their asses. You know, let us do it. And Tommen says, No. I'd prefer, you know, I'd prefer to avoid conflict. And that's just very like the time we've come to know. He said, I'm going to go, you know, uh, crawl under my bed and uh, dream of Marjorie. Uh, because, yeah, I'd rather not have some direct conflict. And I don't want to be responsible for anyone getting hurt. Good-hearted guy and easily manipulated. So then he goes back to his wife, uh, he goes back to his wife, and you could tell he must have been in the hall for hours, you know, practicing this speech. And he, he, tra- he even tries, he says, uh, my my queen, honey. And then Marjorie comes out, and he's like, oh, uh, yeah, there wasn't a way. You, they were busy, uh, you know, they were, you know, he was, ta- he was, it was cleaning. It was uh, prisoner day where all the prisoners get honored. It was, art, they were doing arts and crafts. So I didn't want to interrupt that. So he he couldn't be freed. Plus, they wanted there would have been violence. I forgot like that the crowd when poor Tom was uh, dealing with the uh, Faith Mill and the crowd started booing him. And Marjorie's like, "All right, that's it. I got to go talk to my grandmother." And he's like, "Are you gonna come back later?" And he, you can tell in his eyes, he's like, "We're we're gonna you know we're going we're you're still I mean this is heartbreaking almost." He's like, "Do you almost like do you still love me?" But then he's almost like so passive. He's like, I mean, he might it even looks like he might get over that. But she's like, I got to be with my family right now. And I, I guess I got to, you know, recraft my plan because I'm not as swift as Cersei. I didn't see this coming. Okay, so the next scene is uh, Stannis and he's sitting there 
uh, checking out uh, Jon Snow. He's a Lord Commander. Lord Commander. And his wife's like, what, what the hell are you doing? He's like, I'm watching the Lord Commander. And he's like, what are you, jealous? And she's like, as a matter of fact, I am Lord Commander. He's like, uh, what are you, jealous that I love saying Lord Commander? Lord Commander. And she's like, as a matter of fact, I am je- jealous. And then she starts, uh, his his wife, she starts, she looks, she's like, I wanted to give you a son, and I gave you this daughter, you know, who had this disease. And he's like, hey, he goes, I'm not coming. He goes, haven't you sunk in that she's my daughter, I love her? And then the uh, red woman who was in a black dress this season, who's now in a red and black dress that uh, it's not shimmering. I don't know what the hell you call it. I was going to look it up when it's like both red and black, but she's in one of those things. And she contradicts uh, uh, Stannis' wife, Mrs. Baratheon, Lady Baratheon. I don't know what she calls herself. She, she's got the king's blood running through her veins. And you know what I like to do with people that have the king's blood? And then she's like, anyway, I got, we got to talk uh, adult talk. And she's like, so are you going to move on Winterfell? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, was well, it going to be the Onion Knight or me? And she's like, you know, you screwed up last time. And he's like, I won't. And then he goes, I need you. And I think he was like saying, you know, for some loving time. And uh, she kind of gives him the, it's like, this is like the episode where everyone is uh, sexually frustrated. Because then uh, she says, oh, you only need faith, my king. And then he says, I like how he turns it on. You're like, wait a second, Stannis is getting some, he's like, and what do you need, my lady? Look, I, I, I'm thinking about the Lord Commander. And she's like, uh, to serve, my lord. And then we have this little scene with uh, John and uh, Sam. And he's like, hey, can you sign these for me? Uh, you know, and, and he's like, you sign this one to the Lord, you know, this. And Lord, you know, this, uh, like kind of like a, uh, what do you call it, a draft. He's like, yeah, we're going to get some troops up here. And then he's like, and can you sign this one for, you know, it's B-O-L-T-O-N. And John's like, wait a second, I, you know, I, I'm literate. I grew up, I, I'm, I grew up with a, you know, rich. And he goes, that's Bolton. He goes, yeah, yeah. They got, you know, even though we hate each other, we need their soldiers, dude. And in, in, as John Snow does, he he does what's right. He says, okay, well, you know, I hate them, but you know, send them there to actually tell them to double the soldiers and and, and don't send Ramsey. He doesn't know Ramsey, but you know, that's what I would say. Uh, but Sam has this nice little leather leather binder. I was like, is that a trapper keeper, a middle-aged trapper keeper? And he puts everything in there. So so Sam goes to leave, then the uh, red woman's there. And he's like, oh, apologies, my lady. And she goes, she literally, her line is, Lord Commander. But she says it like a woman would. I think it's like this. She said, Lord Commander, I think. And he says, hey, what can I do? What can I help you with? And she's like, why don't you come? Again, everyone is trying to manipulate Jon Snow. And you got to feel bad for him. And again, I love the tension this is building. Why I love this show. It says, for me, I'm like, well, geez, what is Jon Snow going to do? You have uh, Stannis on his case. Then you have Davos on his case. 
And now you have a red woman on his desk because she says, well, just come with us. And he says, well, you know, no, I don't think so. And she's, she says, you know, all the secret tunnels uh, down in Winterfell. And he's like, I'm sorry. Yeah. And she goes, secret tunnels down in Winterfell. And then she says, I think she takes it. I don't, I was like, where'd that microphone come from? Because she like crosses, she says, baby. She starts singing some like sultry song. And she had one of those cigarette holders. I don't know, wait. That was Jessica Rabbit, I think, in one of the movie. But anyway, she something like that happens. And she says, could I take your hand? Oh, my dress fell off. And John's like, you know, I got work to do here. I can't, you know, you know. And then he's like, oh, boy, uh, natural instincts taking over. And heartbeat quickening, uh, blood flow flowing to, to, you know. And she she says, you know, let's live some life here, you know. Watch out, live in after we die or whatever. And he says, he goes, I don't trust visions. I don't trust magic. She goes, you don't need to. And she gives him the two heart speed is one line, I think. She says, uh, uh, two bodies, two bodies have a greater thing or whatever. I was like, what is Bono? Is Bono backing this up here? And she says, power to make like light, to make life and to cast shadows. And I'm like, yeah, you know, Jon Snow's not into that. He says, and even says, he goes, I don't think Stannis is going to like this. You know, he's very... He seems like a very jealous man uh, uh, when it comes to his uh, witch witch lovers. And she says, well, we won't tell him then. And I think that's probably where she lost Jon Snow. I mean, maybe she had already lost him. But, you know, he, his his bullshit meter's pretty good. So he's like, no, I got, you know, I'm, I'm in recovery from a past redheaded lover. And I still love her. And so she's like, all right, well, I'm out. I'm sexually frustrated. You're sexually frustrated. Stannis is sexually frustrated. Marjorie's sexually frustrated. Uh, Tommen, probably sexually frustrated. Everybody that was at Baelish's establishment is sexually frustrated. And then she goes, you know nothing, Jon Snow. And it's like, bah, bah, bah. That was a great, great line, though. I don't mean to take away from it by making sound effects. She goes, you know nothing, Jon Snow. She even had the uh, intonation, right? And she gives this wicked grin. Be- beautiful, beautiful scene. And then we get some boredom talk. And I say, well, geez, anybody from Game of Thrones listening to this podcast? Probably not. But every season we get a little boredom talk. I'm like, well, I'm boring. My podcast is boring. And they talk about boredom. So it's synergy. Well, not synergy, synchronicity or just a coincidence probably. But uh, Shireen comes in and she she's like kicking it around. And her dad's like, what do you want? Are you bored? And she goes, uh, or no, she says, I'm bored. And he says, well, that's a lack of inner resources. And she says, he says, that's what my father used to say when he'd say, Stannis, you're so boring. Oh, no, it wasn't because I was bored. It was because I was boring. And she's like, Dad, you are the most boring. But when you say Lord Commander, oh, Dad, you said it different that time. And he goes, that wasn't my dad. That was some guy with a podcast. And he says, you know, I know this castle black's boring. And she goes, are you crazy? This castle's awesome. You know, Mom didn't want to bring me here. 
And he goes, this is another whole area. He says, well, why, how do you know that? She says, Shireen says, uh, Mom said, I don't want to bring you. And he says, your mother shouldn't have said that. And she says, then we get a little heart-to-heart heart, heart, heart moment here. She says, Dad, are you ashamed of me? And he tells this story about when she was a baby. And this is like her se- his second story about her as a child. And he says this Dornish guy showed up. And he said he had all his junk except for this one doll. And it had this dress on it. He, he put on it to match our house. And it was right after you were born. And he said, I gave it to you. And he said, oh, these new parents will buy a doll for sure. I put the doll in your cradle, and then you put it against your cheeky poo. And then he said, by the time we burned the doll, it was too late. So I wasn't. Try- I was trying to figure out if that was an accident. Like uh, I know, it, like with polio, you know, children's stuff would get infected, and if you didn't burn it, you could infect another child. So I was like, is this an accident or was this like a Dornish punishment? And I, I don't know. I don't know. But he's like, you know, then we we're afraid you were gonna die, and then the, you know, they were like, well, she's got the grayscale. You know, you should just get, you know, send her to Valeria. And he's and he says, Stannis is like, I told him, no freaking way, Lord Commander. And he said, I called in everybody on the planet. And I said, you know, uh, you're staying here. You're Princess Sh- Sh- Shireen of the House Baratheon, my daughter. And, uh, and so he said, you know, I love you. But basically, that's as cool as he's going to get to saying that. I mean, his brother, he said, Remember that a couple of seasons ago? I, said, oh, I never loved him. He he had too big a mouth or something. And uh, next up we have Sansa. She's lighting candles. And then she's putting this candle. Uh, she's putting this candle in the hands of the statue. And I was like, okay. What, made me think, is there like a candle servant? Like that's like, okay, uh, rich girl's out of the crypts. Let's go put all the candles out before it burns the castle down. Or go replace, Sansa was just in the basement, replace all the candles. But she's doing all that, and then Baelish is creeping around in the background, and then he creeps up on her. And it's this statue of her Aunt Liana, and she's like, yeah, my dad didn't like to talk about her. And he's like, oh, she was beautiful. And I saw her when I was a boy. There was this Lord Went tourney at Hall. And the Mad King was there, and uh, Robert and uh, Liana. You know, she was already going to marry Robert, and then uh, the Mad King fought uh, Barristan Selmy, as of all people. And then Rhaegar kicked his ass, and he takes off his helmet. He's got this, like, silver locks. And he picks up these, like, awesome roses, and he goes, right by Elia Martell, who was his wife. And everyone gets quiet, like, whoa, 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 you're not going to kiss your wife? And he lays the flowers at Liana's lap. Uh, they're, I guess they, they're frost flowers or something. And then he says, Baelish says, whoa, whoa, why would you uh, do that? You know, that, that's it. How many people died because he fell in love with Liana? And then Sansa's like, yeah, and how well did that turn out for her? He's, he was a scumbag. And then Baelish is like, come on, let's go talk where the dead can't hear us. And Sansa's like, I can't help but notice you're looking extra sneaky. 
uh, what are you up to? He's like, oh, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going to King's Landing. And she's like, King's Landing? He's like, yeah, we, we uh, you know, I, I got to keep it on the down low. And she's like, you're going to leave me here? You really are the worst. And he's like, I, I know how hard it is to be with people you despise. He's like, I despise everyone, I, you know, all humanity. He goes, don't worry, Stannis is coming here. It's a win-win situation for you. Either he takes it and saves you, and you become Queen of Winterfell or Queen of the North, or you stay behind and you marry Ramsay and you wrap him around your finger. But he's like, I'm a betting man. You know, Stannis is a military mind. He's going to win. But he says to me, he says, you know, you're a leader. You've learned to maneuver from the best. He goes, I'll be back. You'll be strong without me. The North will be yours. And then he lays this kiss on her. And I was like, oh, yeah, remember he kissed her outside after uh, she knocked down the bratty kid's uh, snow castles. And again, it was like this boyfriend's kiss, like after the breakup, he's kissing her. And he's like, okay, you know, go enjoy your engagement to that guy that's so much better than me. I'm just going to go back to my parents' house. It's so it's a sleazy little kiss, but then she she Sansa again. I'm like, huh, what's happening here? Cause she says, well, I expect I'll be a married woman by the time you return. And then the next scene is uh, Row Bron Row Row rowing his boat gently. Well, not even gently. He's like, hey, Jamie, can you help? Jamie's like, dude, I got one hand and I'm one of the richest people in the world. He goes, I, I prefer not to sweat. And so Bron has to row, and then he's wiped out, and they get to the beach, and, and uh, they take a little sand nap. And then Jamie wakes up. Bron's already out working, and they see uh, Bron throw a knife at him. But Bron th- throws a knife at a, a, a wildland creature by Jamie that they eat for breakfast. And then they notice that Jamie's putting a, glo- a, a glove, on, a mitten on one hand and a glove on the other. And then Bron, he even does this little thing. So he's cooking the the, 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 the cooking their breakfast. He does not even Stevens, where he looks at the two things. He says, okay, they look about even. Jamie, I'm going to give you one that's a little bit better because that's the kind of guy I am. And that's the kind of guy you are. You want the better one anyway, but we're not going to argue about it. And they say, well, geez, if you have to go, how would you, how would you die? And Bron's like, I want a boring death. I've had an exciting life. Ron says, you know, I like to watch my kids fight over my money while I pass away, you know, something slow. What about you? And Jamie says, well, I'd like to die in the arms of the woman I love. And Brian gives him one more chance to metacommunication. He says, well, you think she wants the same thing? Your sister? He doesn't say that, but is that, he says, like, he does the old blunt. Do you think she wants the same thing? He goes, because I haven't seen you with any single women. And Jamie says, I know you cooked breakfast, but let's just go without eating. And then Bron's like, you know, I don't think you're very good at making these kind of plans because I guarantee you the guy on the ship already double-crossed us. And then you hear a horse neigh, and he's like, see? And then we have a rare, rare, wonderful, wonderful scene where, uh, and this is like one of my favorite types of comedy, I probably overuse it in some of my podcast episodes. I call it the Fletch, or you could call it the uh, Eddie Murphy or the Chevy Chase. 
where they're, um, the horsemen are pretty close to catching Jamie and uh, Bron. And Bron does like a Chevy Chase movie. He comes out, he says, hey, guys, uh, great to see you. He says, like, uh, we're like Sterling and Cooper or something. He says something like that. He goes, yeah, we're just in town from Flea Bottom. Uh, maybe you heard of it. We're, you know, we're doing a, uh, you know, uh, whatever, a beach dune tour. And I think we got separated from our group. And they're like, Flea Bottom. He's like, whelped and whipped. Oh, boy, oh. And then they're even making a little banter. Jamie's like, yeah, we were afraid of the sharks. And they're like, we don't have sharks here. He's like, yeah, well, we're not from here. But we could have been dolphins, maybe. And and then, uh, like, uh, I think maybe bronze sword glimmers in the sun. But uh, oh, no, they say swords in the sand or something. So bronze like, okay. And then they do the old, uh, uh, you know, buddy comedy cop move. And bronze starts kicking some butt. He takes out one horse that falls on the guy. And he's like, oh, that guy should be slow enough for you, Jamie. I'll take the other three. Jamie's fighting this guy as he literally gets his hands full. That's an actual pun, action pun because his uh, spare hand catches a sword. His hair was perfect, I noticed, after. And I said, man, this guy, you know, she said, talk about genes. Holy moly. And then Bron's like, all right, let's break out of here. And Jamie's like, you got to bury everybody. And Bron's like, I got to do the work, huh? And Jamie's like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, I don't, you know, I got to work on my hair, bro. And and Bron's like, well, at least I always wanted a Dornish horse. And then we're at camp. Now, this was the one spoiler I'd heard about uh, somehow in the summer or something. I was like, uh, Oberyn's daughters were in this. That's all I heard. But I said, well, if you're going to hear a spoiler, that's really nonspecific. So not really a bad spoiler to hear. And that they would kick ass. And it looks like they're, they're, they're going to kick some ass. They're at a little jester camp. And then Elias Sand shows up. And I think she says, what's up, Nim, Obra? And they say, well, what do you think? What's the war going on? And she says, I don't know, Dor, Dor, Doran, Doran or whatever, he's not going to do anything. It's up to us to you know, take vengeance. We don't need an army. Just like, just like uh, that's just what Jamie said, too. And she says, we're just going to, you know, deal with the princess. And they're like, well, we got a little problem. We got a jar full of uh, traitorous uh, ship captain here. And it ends up with Jamie Lannister and some sellsword are here. Uh, you know, they're going for Marcella. Marcel- and they're like, well, then I guess it's a race for, uh, uh, you know, princess. And she says, are you with me or not? And she says, Nim? She says, oh, yeah. Obra? Obra's like, hell yeah. You think there's one other girl? I think it's Obra, though. She says, you know, when I, when I was a girl, Obra, Obra you know, took me to court. I was like, who the hell are you? He's like, I'm your dad. I'm also cool as hell. And he says, you know, you're, I'm going to teach you some, to kick some ass. And then my mom started crying. And he said, hey, there's two weapons here, a spear or tears. They both work. You choose what what fits you best. You know, the gods let you fight your weapons. What what do you feel comfortable with? And she says, I actually like the spear. And then she shows how uh, good she is with it. And she's like, okay, let's go kick some ass. And I said, hell yeah, let's, let's, uh, please don't kick bronze ass, but, but go kick some ass. And then we got uh, the ship, and Jorah still has the bad attitude. 
he's still kind of mean to Tyrion, and Tyrion's like, hey, buddy, I can't talk with this thing in my mouth. And uh, he he even sings a song with it, and I thought that was funny. I said, what song is that? I didn't want to look it up on the Internet and cheat, though. And then he, he says, Tyrion's like, you know, come on, take this off. And he says, okay, if you're, if you're going to be less annoying. But then Tyrion chooses to be more annoying. He says, where are we going? And he goes, Westeros is west. And uh, he says, yeah, I told you I was taking you to the queen. I mean, the Khaleesi. And then uh, Tyrion just cracks up. He's like, what a waste of a good kidnapping. He goes, I'm headed there myself. He's like, what business do you have uh, with the queen? He's like, yeah, stuff. Gold stuff, glory stuff. Oh, he goes, and I also hate my sister, and I figure she didn't like her, and I got this bald guy. You might have heard of him because he hired you, Varys. He goes, I, I, I just kicked on my deduction. I see your bear. You're Jorah Mormont, the uh, turncoat. Well, I'm like, yes, you're drunk in a tavern. You got uh, ditched by the Khaleesi, and now you're going to try to uh, bring her back, win her back with me? He's like, dude, what do you think's going to happen? And uh, Jorah's like, well, I think I'm going to, you know, uh, 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 shut you back up. And then the next scene, uh, be honest with you, I was hating on uh, Sir Barristan uh, for a while, but this scene really wins me back, uh, his acting, because Khaleesi's kind of looking out at the town, and she's like, yeah, I'm feeling a little bit down here. And he's like, oh, yeah, I was thinking about all the times I was with your brother and he would go into town with the people. And she's like, what? And he's like, oh, yeah, he loved to go into the town and sing to the people. And I'm like, I like this guy. I mean, embarrassed him for telling the story. But now I'm starting to get this character down. I'm like, he, he seems pretty cool. She's like, he, he sang to them? He's like, oh, yeah, Rhaegar, he'd sit on the corner and he'd sing with other, like the other minstrels, and he's like, I'd sit there and you know keep an eye on him, collect the money. And he's like, she's like, money. He's like, yeah, he like you know he's a little competitive. And he, she's like, well, was he good? He's like, uh, good. He was freaking awesome. He's silver hair, you know, silver haired minstrel. And he's like, your Weasley brother never told you about that. And she's like, no, he told me he was good at kick kicking ass. He's like, oh, he didn't like to kick ass. He liked to sing. And she's like, what did you do with the money? He's like, well, I'd give it to a minstrel or give it to an orphanage or, you know, go get wasted. He's like, hey, Khaleesi, we got work to do downstairs. And we got about 100 people to talk to. And she's like, are you going to join us, Sir Barristan? And uh, I think it's, uh, oh, her boyfriend says, I can protect you. And she goes, hey, Sir Barristan, take the day off. Go sing me a song. Very cute scene. And it made me, for some reason I wrote down fathers and daughters uh, for for a theme for this episode at that point. Because I said, well, Sir Barristan is more like a father figure than Jorah was because Jorah was trying, you know, trying to get, Sir Barristan more seems to like want to bathe in the Khaleesi's love, you know, as a, as a, uh, like a light wavelength where Sir Jorah wanted to take a bath in the Khaleesi's love if you can get the difference there. And they have uh, Stannis and his daughter. I don't know, was it? Well, Bailey, well, boy, Baelish and Sansa, I don't know about that. I guess parents and daughters and sons, because then you have 
So maybe not a theme. Maybe maybe not a theme. Maybe I'm reaching. But then I'm going to read these words. This is when they're talking about the fighting pits. But it, it, it portrays what's happening uh, afterwards. They say they're talking about reopening the fighting pits. They say, well, all men must die. You know, not everybody gets to die in glory. They say, glory. I think Khalees says, well, why else do men fight? Uh, why did your ancestors cross the narrow sea and conquer the seven kingdoms so their names would live on? Uh, those who find victory in the fighting pits, they don't become kings. Their names live on. It's the best chance they got. And she says, is that what you told them before, you know, you sent them to this horrible, you know, fighting pits? And she, they say, the guy says, uh, this is the start of the fighting season. And she says, I don't recognize that tradition. And he says, traditions are the only thing that are going to hold this city, your city, together. You know, without them, there's nothing with people and the masters are going to have in common. Uh, just mistrust and resentment. And he says, I, I don't think this is the answer to our problems, but it's a start. And against those words, you know, if you watch the episode, you know what happens, this huge... Uh, ambush happens with the sons of the harpy. They go after the second sons. And uh, actually there's a callback with, because uh, then they go and the, some of the unsullied come and there's a prostitute crying. And then she sends them into an ambush. And I said, oh, geez, that's just like Oberyn said to his daughter, you can use different weapons, the spear or the tears. So I really like that they, I appreciate the level of detail they put into the show, little things like that, that give me something to talk about for extra four minutes. But, but then, you know, the Unsullied, then we realize one of our Unsullied that's being ambushed is Grey Worm, and he's fighting. One question I had was, where the heck did these uh, Sons of the Harpy learn to fight so good? Because they were holding their own. I mean, they had the uh, Unsullied outnumbered, but I don't know if they had them outnumbered to a degree. I said, well, geez, they're really good kicking butt. And then poor Grey Worm, he's fighting and he, he's he's doing his best. And then, boom, Sir Barristan shows up and tries to save the day. And him and Grey Worm are fighting, and we're left with a cliffhanger of, and we're left with a cliffhanger. What what happens? We don't know. Probably uh, not good, but no definitive uh, loss of Grey Worm or Barristan. And uh, so who, who knows, but pr probably not good. I mean, to be honest, uh, probably not good for Barristan. But he did have his moment in the sun and Khaleesi's sun bathing in her light, bathing in Rhaegar's light. But, but uh, hopefully Grey Worm makes it. But hopefully Barristan makes it. But him being gone, then Sir Jorah could say, well, geez, I'm your father figure again. Grey Worm's too young. You know, I've given up, you know, you know, you're sleeping with that Dario Nahara, so that's probably out. So I, I could be your uh, broken father figure. And then the Khaleesi will be like, well, I, uh, how about this Tyrion guy as my father figure? And then Jorah will be like, well, how about me? And maybe, I don't know. That's why I don't do the show. So that's it for that episode. And I'm, uh, so let's move on. Uh, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. And I guess I don't think uh, Bron was thinking that when he was row, row, rowing. It was neither Jamie, it was Jamie, I think Jamie's gold, family gold, played for the, well, technically it was the Iron Bank's gold. 
that paid for the boat, probably. Unless Jamie was also having Bron front the money, because I'm sure Bron has cash and other assets since he's a sellsword. But but we all are familiar with that uh, uh, song, according to a nursery rhyme. According to Wikipedia, it's the English nursery rhyme. Popular children's song, often sung as a round, like row, row, and then I would say row, row, and then I'd say row, row. And then people would say, no, 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 you started too soon. Right after I say row, or and I'd say, wait, after the first row, or no, after the third row, gently down. No, no, start with row. Wait, okay. Row, we gently, no, no. You forget it. Never mind. You, you, you go to the back of the class. All right. I'll just be back here eating Play-Doh. No problem. You guys, it was really nice listening to you guys sing. And I'll just be humming to myself. But anyway, uh, it, it can be an action nursery rhyme where people row their boat uh, forwards and backwards with joined hands. According to this, what the heck is this round folk song index number of uh, 19236? I have no idea what the hell that means. I'm not even going to look it up. Well, let's look it up, actually. This kind of stuff you find on Wikipedia, you're like, what the heck? Round folk song index is a database or a database of 200,000 references to 25,000 songs that have been collected from an oral tradition in the English language. All over the world. It's uh, compiled by Steve Roud. Oh, not Round. Uh, former librarian in the borough of Croydon. It's a combination of the broadside index, uh, printed sources before 1900, and a field recording index compiled by Roud. So that's interesting. Good, good on him. Uh, but back to it, you know, the lyrics. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. Origins. It was uh, suggested this song may have originated out of American minstrelly, which is, in, I guess it's not in the episode, but it's interesting. Minstrels come up in this episode. So, early sprinting the songs from 1852, where the lyrics are published. Similar to those today with a different tune. Okay, so there you go. Was it the tune or the fact that they could be sung in rounds, the fact that they could pretend to row your boat? Or row your partner, or was it? You know, I doubt it was the lyrics. No, well, row, row, row your boat. I mean, I wonder what the other tune was. Row. Well, yeah, without a row, row, row. Is it going up or down, or is that the same tone? Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream, merrily, merrily. I don't know. That's why I don't. Uh, so I'm not a musician. I'm a dull storyteller. Uh, then it was reprinted two years later with same lyrics, another tune. The modern tune was recorded with lyrics in 1881. Mentioning the Eli Follett Orem Light and the Franklin Square song collection but not making it clear he was the composer or the adapter. Uh, people often add additional verses, a form of children's street culture. I don't know what that means. I'm not even going to go down that alley. Uh, with the intent of uh, extending the song or uh, in more irreverent versions, make it funny, parody, or 
substituting another sensibility. Versions include row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. If you see an alligator, don't forget to scream. Uh, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Throw your teacher overboard and listen. I never, I never knew that version. I've heard this one. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Ha ha, fooled ya. I'm a submarine. What do you... I always picture myself rowing in a meandering river, just like I do this podcast. So what's a submarine? Uh, he just ruined the song. We're trying to have fun here. But I, I just don't understand. How's a submarine? Is it an individual submarine you're in? We go to the back of the class. Uh, popular culture. How about that? Uh, the song's been used extensively in popular culture. Reflect existential questions about reality. Uh, Lewis Carroll, which we'll see soon, used a poem at the end of Through the Looking Glass. The 1947 Broadway review, Angels on the Wings, had an elaboration called The Thousand Island Song. Uh, Captain Kirk, Dr. McCoy, and Mr. Spock sing Row, 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 Row Your Boat at the beginning and the end of Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Was, what was Search for Spock? Was that three or four? There's uh, the search for Spock, and then I think there's something after that. I remember I went to see Search for Spock on my birthday. Or maybe the one where we, whoa, well, never mind, not important. But it's also an eternal sunshine of spotless mind used to uh, hide from memory erasers. In Fringe, Walter whistles, hears it whistling. He's like, is that me whistling? Uh, Jimmy Fallon, Justin Timberlake, Michael McDonald did a a triple Michael McDonald row, row, row your boat jam. That would be pretty good. Who believes rowing a boat is rowing to row the boat away? I said I row the boat, I rowed the boat. When I'm row, row, it's also used in TV shows and movies and a lot of other stuff. But then they say, hey, what, would you, did you say something about a poem? And Alice, Alice and Lewis, uh, Carol, I did, let me, let me lay a little poetry on you here. If I can find it here. A boat beneath the sunny sky, lingering onward dreamily in an evening of July. Children three that nestled near, eager eye and willing ear, please the simple tale to hear. Long has paled that sunny sky, echoes fade and memories die. Autumn frosts have slain July. Long has paled that sunny sky, echoes fade and memories die. Autumn frosts have slain July. She still haunts me phantom-wise, Alice moving under skies, never seen by waking eyes. Children yet the tale to hear, eager eye and willing ear, lovingly shall nestle near. In a wonderland they lie, dreaming as the days go by, dreaming as the summers die. Ever drifting down the stream, lingering the golden dream. Life what is but a dream. And that's a poem, uh, A Boat Beneath a Sunny Sky. And it has a whole history behind it that I, I honestly had no idea. Con, con, is it controversy or faux controversy? It seems like faux controversy. But it's about um, uh, Alice Liddell. This is from Wikipedia. Uh, Alice, who inspired Alice inventure, Alice's adventures, Alice's, 
Alice who insp- the, the Alice who inspired Alice's Adventures in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll, uh, who was originally Charles Lutwidge Dodgson, uh, when she asked him to tell her story on a, a boating trip in Oxford. The uh, fictional character of Alice may not be based on her, however, it's controversy. Uh, relations, uh, there, there's some speculation, but I think it's disregarded uh, about, about the nature of the relationship. But Alice was a uh, uh, fourth child. She had two older brothers. How is she the fourth? Oh, three older brothers, one who passed away. Oh, no. I don't know. Uh, she, she she had three older brothers, an older sister, six younger siblings. Wow, big family. And her father was a headmaster. They moved to Oxford in 1856. That's where she met uh, uh, Dodgson, a.k.a. Lewis Carroll, uh, who encountered, he was photographing a cathedral. He became a close friend with them. Uh, but in uh, 1862, July 4th, uh, they, uh, in a rowing boat on the Isis from the Folly Bridge from Oxford to Godstow uh, for a picnic outing, uh, Alice asked uh, Lewis Carroll to uh, entertain her and her sisters, Edith and Lorena. Lorena, L-O-R-I-N-A. So she was 10, Edith was 8, Lorena was 13. As the Reverend Robinson Duckworth rode the boat, uh, Dodgson regaled the girls with the fantastic stories of a girl named Alice and her adventures after she fell down a rabbit hole. And the story was not like other tales he had spun for the girls before. But this time she said, hey, write write this one down, Alice said to a carol, as she knew, knew, knew Mr. Dodgson. And he promised to do so, but he didn't get around to it for a little while. And he presented her with the manuscript of Alice's Adventures Underground, 1864. In the meantime, he rewrote the story, you know, on spec, uh, you know, maybe a, possibly the view to canvassing. He sent the manuscript to a friend, George MacDonald, in 1863. The children loved the story. And then they, the, the, their joy, he said, yeah, maybe I should get this published. And Alice's Adventures in Wonderland uh, were with illustrations by D- John Tenniel, T-E-N-N-I-E-L, was published in 1865 under the name Lewis Carroll. A second book about Alice, Through the Looking Glass, and what Alice found there was published in 1871. In uh, 1886, uh, the, the actual manuscript he gave Liddell was published. Uh, there's some controversy I said about the relationship. It seems to be disproven. It, but the comparisons with the fictional Alice, the extent with uh, Alice maybe or could be identified with Liddell is controversial too. They're not identical as long as assumed it was based heavily on Liddell. Recent research has contradicted this assumption. Uh, Dodgson claimed later that Alice is imaginary. I mean, sometimes you just use someone's name because they're there. Uh, there was a rumor that Dodgson... Uh, had sent uh, Tenniel a photo of uh, another child, Mary Hinton Babcock, and that she was the model for Alice in the illustrations. But they haven't found any proof of that. Uh, Dodgson's own drawings in the original manuscript show little resemblance to Liddell. And biographer Frank Clark suggests Dodgson might have used Edith Liddell as the model. 
There are three direct links to Liddell and his two books. First, he set them on the 4th of May, her birthday, and the 4th of September, her half-birthday, and through the looking glass, Alice declares her age is seven and a half exactly, the same as Liddell. Uh, second, he dedicated them to Alice Pleasance Liddell. And third, there's an acrostic poem, which we just read. Reading downward through the first letter of each line, it spells out her name, her full name. Uh, the poem has no title in the book, but it's usually referred to as A Boat Beneath a Sunny Sky. And let's just close with one more reading. A Boat Beneath a Sunny Sky, Lingering Onward Dreamily in an Evening of July. Children three that nestle near, eager eye and willing ear, pleased a simple tale to hear. Long has paled that sunny sky, echoes fade and memories die. Autumn frosts have slain July. Still she haunts me phantom-wise, Alice moving under skies, never seen by waking eyes. Children yet the tale to hear, eager eye and willing ear, loveling. Lovingly, lovingly shall nestle near. In a wonderland they lie, dreaming as the days go by, dreaming as the summers die, ever drifting down the stream, lingering the golden gleam. Life is it but a dream. I guess one more uh, connection to the episode of Game of Thrones you could, you could make, uh, precariously make, though, is that uh, this Reverend Duckworth is one stuck rowing the boat while the other four of them are just kicking back, much like Bronn, except he's Duckworth's got probably even, well, Jamie probably is like, what, he's like 6'2", pretty pretty fit, so he might be like 175 pounds, I'm guessing, and I'm really good at this. So you say, well, geez, 175, between 162 and 178, I would say, if he's 6'2", I don't know his actual height. So I'm guessing Lewis Carroll's probably, maybe with three girls, probably heavier. So, yeah, but then bronze in the open sea, the air in a river, still a lot of work. And I don't know if Duckworth got any, you know, scratch out of this. He's like, hey, could I do the illustrations? And Carroll's like, hey, be quiet. I'm telling the girls a story. Just keep rowing, Rev. And he's a reverend, which is even a more... Man, so we got a reverend in this episode. Well, he's technically... He's a sparrow, high sparrow. So I don't know, but that's a little bit about rowing and Alice and, and, and stuff. So uh, I noticed when they were on the beach, right, uh, and Jamie was getting ready. They were getting ready. They were saying, okay, let's get this show on the road. Jamie's like, enough uh, talk about, you know, uh, dying in the arms of the woman I love, you know, rekindling the passion of my incest or whatever you want to call it, rekindling the incest or whatever whatever term you want to use for reigniting the passion of a brother and a sister from afar and then being too uncomfortable to talk about it. He says you know, uh, he puts a glove on one hand and a mitten over his uh, his iron hand or his metal hand Smart move, I think, because he says, well, geez, then they're not going to know I only have one hand. But it brought up for me, I'm like, well, you know, those of you that participate in winter sports or go sledding or even have to go outside or, you know, say you're a, you work in Fargo and, and you're a uh, either a TV show or a movie 
cop and you got to get outside your vehicle, do you wear gloves or do you wear uh, mittens? And I said, well, Jesus, this is a controversy. I'll tell you right now, I'll get right in front of this issue. I'm a mittens man. And you might say to yourself, whoa, whoa, you a mittens man? And then you think about if if I give you a pause, you say, well, if his uh, physical dexterity is anything like his dexterity with the English language, I guess it wouldn't make you having access to his fingers wouldn't really, yeah, not going to help him. That would be what correct point one. How much dexterity do you have when you're? I mean, when you're talking about puffy mittens versus puffy gloves, it's just you know, how much dexterity am I losing here? And, and I would say not much. And I would say too, and I would say just like a lot of sleeping stuff, you, you do have to find what works for. But let me give you the mittens pitch here. When I once I went mittens, I never went back. I remember I bought a pair of blue. I said, well, "Geez, my fingers get cold when I'm on the like when I was uh, I did the high school is the high school ski club, and so every Friday, or maybe it was a middle school ski club. Anyway, not important. Yeah, it was middle school. Every Friday, we'd take a school bus up to the small ski hill upstate New York, and we'd go skiing." And you might say, which night skiing, it's not that popular. In New York State, it is for some reason. I don't know. I haven't thought about it too much. But California, is like there's not a lot of night skiing that I know about. But it's, the hills aren't that steep, so it's like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know the history of night skiing. I should stay out of it. But I notice, hey, my, my f- hands are getting cold on the chairlift, and I have very bony fingers, my fingers don't don't uh, take a lot of meat on them for some reason, and so they would get cold. So on the chairlift, I would create my own mitten in my glove by pulling my fingers out of the fingers and, and gripping them into a fist, and then keeping them warm. And at some point, I said, at some point later on in life, I said, uh, after that, I think another occasion came up years later. I said, I just got to get some winter. And I said, why the hell was I using those gloves? Why did I just buy some mittens? And I, this was probably 15, 20, 15, I don't know, 15 years ago, maybe more, maybe probably more. And I found myself a nice pair of mittens. And then I said, I'm never going back to gloves again because your hands are much more toasty. You can fist them or unfist them. You don't lose dexterity. And you say, well, geez, if you're snowboarding or skiing or sledding, you're less likely, your your hands are all together. So if you're, like, touching the snow while you're moving, it feels safer, uh, just more convenient. But, you know, why take my word for it? Let's wade in this controversy over at theclimbwithaY.com, C-L-Y-M-B, theclimb.com. And there's an article over here. I don't see a date. Or an author, but let's just assume, you know, that it's uh, all this is uh, from the climb. I'll try to paraphrase. It's uh, gloves versus mitten, an educated debate. And they're like, well, winter doesn't start till December 21st, but uh, with the frost out there, it's getting cold. You know, if, uh, if you're going for your uh, winter clothes, are you going to grab some uh, uh, gloves or mittens? And it says there's an ongoing debate in many social social circles about which of the two is really warmer. I'll end that debate now. There's no debate uh, unless you got like a warming warmer in your gloves. 
but what's more uh, better and practical? And they say, hey, let's hash this out. And they say, well, glove enthusiasts argue, first and foremost, uh, glove wearers say they prefer them because they give more dexterity than mittens. Also, they say they insulate each digit individually while mittens only do the thumb. Okay, so that's the glove. That's a straw man argument if I ever heard of one. Mitten devotees counter with body heat. Your fingers, when bundled together, uh, better generate heat. That's a fact, not a... Opinion, uh, and then plus, uh, how mu- when it comes to snow sports, how many, how much dexterity do you really need? You just hold your poles, uh, or put a carrot on a, a snowman with your mittens as you can with gloves. But what about an expert? I don't know who who would be considered an expert, but they say the expert is taking things. A uh, single most important step you can take in keeping your hands warm is make sure they stay dry. Uh, the more moist your hands get, the higher potential they'll get cold. Uh, this is the Snow Glove Buyer's Glide, in which we speak with Arctic explorer, explorer Eric Larson for expert advice. That's uh, so a quote. I spent my life searching for the perfect glove, Larson said. A lot of glove characteristics preclude other ones. Uh, the Buyer's Guide continues. In super cold conditions, moisture management becomes increasingly important. Even slight damp- dampness can lead to dangerous loss of heat. Uh, so in mild conditions, repelling moisture from the outside while allowing sweat to leave the body is also difficult. Leading compromises in glove design that allow for evaporation and water repellency. Uh, their conclusion, the debate may rage on for centuries, but the real issue is breathability, not dexterity or insulation. And that aspect will always be a matter of personal preference. Oh boy, this uh, this article is trying to have a, no offense, but it's trying to have it both ways. I think. In other words, you should decide whether you prefer the feel of a glove or mitten, or if you need one or the other, depending on your activity. Then make sure it's breathable fabric, so your hand per. So they didn't really answer the question, so that was a fake out. But you did get give us uh, some material I didn't know. I said, well, geez, so you want your hand to be wet? Makes sense, but then you don't think about that when you're buying a glove. And I'd say, well, geez, they got me on that a little bit. You say mittens, your hand's going to sweat more because it's warmer. And because when it gets warm, then your hand's going to be like, oh, boy, I'm bundled together here. I'm warm. I'm going to sweat a bit here. So I'd say, if I was right, I'd say, well, geez, getting a mitten, make sure you're getting the highest breathability to repellency factor you can. So maybe when you buy a mitten, you do have to spend a little bit more money to get a quality mitten. Versus being like, well, this glove, my hands are already going to be frigidly cold, so they're not going to sweat. So so that's the issue, because I said, well, geez, sometimes my hands did sweat in those mittens. I can't, but, but I say, well, geez, maybe the breathability technology, you know, you say, hey, they got some nanotechnology in this shit now. We got some, I've, I've seen like gloves have silver and stuff in them now, reflective stuff. So, hell, we whack some nanobots in there. We got some reflectivity. We got silver stuff, space, you know, integrated space blanket, uh, breathable stuff. I mean, I tell you what, you give me a mitten and you slap a NASA approved label on there, I'll buy that shit. I don't give a shit. I don't even have to think about it. What'd you say? Was that on the space station? Buy it. Oh, no, NASA. That's different than NASA. 
Why would they use gloves in NASA? Oh, sweatshop down there. Oh, geez, that's terrible news. Okay, well, I'll have to reconsider my uh, endorsement then of your mittens, sir. <laughs> so that's it. Wasn't a was there a Spinal Tap uh, album? And then I think there was a maybe Humphreys McGee smelled a glove, and I think there was a smell the mitten parody of that. I don't know, uh, but that's it on gloves and mittens. One man's opinions, one man stands alone for mittens. Maybe, or, or I guess a, a large population stands for mittens. I stand, I, I'll tell you what, I stand for mittens. Right, so I was saying uh, during the episode discussion, I was like, man, when Bron and Jamie hop out behind, from behind that dune, and they're like, hey, hey guys, uh, hey horsemen, it's just me, Sterling and Cooper, we're here, uh, yeah, you guys have ad agencies in Dorn. Uh, you know, I'm I'm Sterling. I'm the one. You know, oh no, Jamie's Sterling. I'm Cooper. I'm the wild card. No Draper. This is pre-Draper. You know, pre, pre, well, I guess Jamie, you are a bit of a Draper. And so, well, no, Don Draper's no offense, Jamie. Don Draper's pretty smart. Where is that? Well, you're you're like sixty-six percent Draper. Well, maybe no, maybe fifty. And they say, anyway, boys, we're here. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, we're doing a routine. Jeez, we just, we, our boat got eaten by sharks. But I got to tell you, this is the kind of comedy sometimes I love where it's like, uh, and as I said, it reminds me of different movies and different people, but particularly like three or four actors from the 80s, uh, which would be Chevy Chase. Uh, then you say, well, Dan Aykroyd, but sometimes Dan Aykroyd and Chevy Chase would do it together. And you say, well, Bill Murray, but Bill Murray has a little bit different style. He, he's a, I don't know, or Steve Martin. You say, well, they, they're, uh, I, I don't know how to put words on it. Uh, and not, a, not better or worse, just a different style. Bill Murray was more intentional and uh, intentionally aloof. Uh, well, these guys are being intentional. I don't know how to describe it. I'm not a comedy. I don't have a treaty on comedy or a. And, you know, I said, well, gee, I got my master's in funny stuff. C- clearly, I do not. But what I do have a love of is the movie Fletch and the movie Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, I'd say Beverly Hills Cop, probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Fletch is more of a movie with a special place in my heart. And you say, well, geez, we can't have it both ways. What do you wear gloves and mittens? And I say, well, a great idea. The mitten glove. Breathable. We have a, and I say, geez, hold on, I gotta. Anyway, I say, well, it's weird. I guess I think Beverly Hills Cop play stands up a lot better over time, and it's a little bit more of a movie, like a total movie, where Fletch is just a straight comedy, where uh, Beverly Hills Cop's kind of like an action comedy. Uh, but I love the movie Fletch. I, I love it. I love Chevy Chase in it. And I love, and I said, I started looking up. I'm like, wow, I didn't even, I wasn't old enough to see either one of these movies when they came out. So I probably didn't even see them till like years after they were out, which was surprising to me because they both came out in 85. Another thing was that I remember uh, that Beverly's Cap was in the first blockbuster movie. I remember being like, wow, that movie is, uh, it's not a movie I'm allowed to see. I think Beverly Hills Cap was R. 
but I remember it, it, uh, this is just my impression as a child, but I, I, I hold to it that it was in the movie theater for a year in Syracuse, New York. Now, it might have been the second-run movie theater, but I can remember this. If it came out in the summer, that the summer after it came out, it was still running in our second-run movie theater. Where I was like, that movie's been in there for a year. That's how great this movie So I was really looking forward to seeing it, and I was not disappointed when I did see it. And then Fletch came into my life probably through, I don't know, if it was on TV or if we had a subscription to HBO or it was at somebody's house. But then I saw that movie. I said, wow, this is so cool and funny. Yeah, this character, this Fletch character and heroic and just hilarious. And, and uh, I don't know. I just like, I like that style, especially as a kid of someone being like, well, I'm confident and an idiot. Uh or and I guess Chevy Chase is a little bit more. He is a, he, he's a little bit more Pratt Foley, I guess. Where uh, Axel Foley, uh, Eddie Murphy was more. He would be more just like, oh, okay, I'm acting. But they are both also like. People get thrown in these situations. They say, "This is my asset." Uh, like I- improving the situation, changing characters. Uh, to deflect violence or distract. So I'd say two of my heroes. So let's just talk about these two movies. I've seen scenes from Fletch uh, every once in a while. I haven't seen the whole movie in quite some time from start to finish. I want to say the kid who whose car, he's in a scene with someone famous. Maybe Matt Damon or somebody. I don't know. Like There's someone that like, has a, is a teenager in Fletch maybe. And but I've seen Beverly Hills Cop in the last eight years, and it's sta- that movie. I'm like, okay, pretty. It stands up. Some of the action, maybe not, but 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 for the most part. And then you have some wonderful. Both movies have wonderful supporting casts. Well, let's get to a Fletch is a '85. This is from Wikipedia, a comedy film about Erwin Fletcher, investigative newspaper reporter. It was uh, directed by Michael Ritchie, written by Andrew Bergman, and based loosely on these Gregory McDonald no- novels. Uh, Tim Matheson, Diane, Dana, Dana Wheeler, Nicholson, Gina Davis, and John, Joe Don Baker appear in supporting roles. Well, I didn't realize that was Joe Don Baker. I thought it was the other guy that, like, ran for president or whatever, that guy. I can't think of his name. Or was that Joe Don Baker? You know what I'm talking about? Some Republican guy. He was, like, in Congress. I don't know. In the 70s, Burt Reynolds and Mick Jagger were considered for Fletch, but McDonald said no way because he had, like, uh, rights to the character, even though he had sold it for movies, to decide who was going to play the character. Uh, He agreed to Chevy Chase despite never seeing the comedian. Uh, And Chevy Chase, like, enjoyed the role because he played several different characters. He worked with uh, props. In 2004, he said it was his favorite role. In Entertainment Weekly, uh, it earned positive reviews. It had a sequel, which I don't th- I don't remember. It Fletch Lives. I remember it was in the South, and uh, but I don't remember much about it. And they've been trying to remake a, a prequel. Uh, I don't want to talk about the plot. You should see the movie uh, production. It was a, based on these successful Gregory McDonald novels, which he optioned uh, years before. Uh, Chevy Chase's manager had told him to read the books, but he wasn't interested. 
And then uh, producer Alan Griezmann and Andrew Bergman, the screenwriter, got involved. Chase was said he was in. McDonald sent Chase a telegram. I'm delighted to abdicate the role of Fletch to you. Uh, Bergman adapted the screenplay. He wrote a re- re- very fast. He says, like, first draft, it took him a month. Uh, at first, he said there was, like, a lot of improv. He called it dial-a-joke. Uh, McDonald was, was not happy with the script and how far it strayed from his book. Uh, but then when, it, when they started making the movie, he was invited to the set where uh, the director, Richie, pointed out to him, you know, this is what we're going to do. And, and this is why it works. Uh, according to this, like, Richie, uh, director Richie, you know, they do one take with a script and then one take with Chase ad-libbing, which Chase said he enjoyed. He said there were some scenes where he didn't even recognize himself, and he liked working with Richie because of the freedom. And it all began when co-star Tim Matheson asked me what my name is, and right away I said, Ted Nugent. It was released May 31st, 85, so it's a summer movie. Got $7 million its opening weekend, made $50 million and, and uh, $9 million worldwide. It did well on home video, and it's a cult film. Uh, Bergman tries to explain the period. It's a bit bizarre, but it strikes a chord. It's a group of movies in the 80s like Caddyshack that captured a wise-ass thing. It appeals to, like... Uh, Guys like me, I guess, the cheekiness of the guy, quick-witted, and doesn't care what other people think. Chase said it was his favorite film because it allowed him to be himself. Fletch was the first one with me really winging it. Uh, perhaps the most meaningful praise comes from McDonald, who said, I watched it recently. And he said he thinks Chevy and Michael Ritchie did a good job. And currently they've been working for a long time on trying to relaunch or do another Fletch, Kevin Smith's been involved, Miramax, the Weinsteins, Chevy Chase, Jason Lee, Ben Affleck, Brad Smith, Will, Brad Pitt, Will Smith, Jimmy Fallon, Zach Braff, Bill Lawrence, uh, Steve Pink. So a lot of people were involved. Never, none of those projects ever took off. And then right now we're, we're looking at David List. It looks like they have Jason Sudeikis uh, as of 2013. And they've signed off on a screenplay, more of a gritty action comedy with heart. They were looking for a director. So I don't know if this has been, is filming or not. But uh, yeah, I could see it. I like Jason Sudeikis. So we'll see what happens with Fletch. That's Fletch. And then Beverly Hills Cop, I'll try to breeze through this here. Even though it deserves more, oh, I could say eighty. Beverly Hills Cop's an eighty-four uh, action comedy film directed by Martin Brest and starring Eddie Murphy is a street as Axel Foley, street smart Detroit cop, who heads uh, Beverly Hills to sol- solve a crime. Uh, Judge Reinhold, John Ashton, Ronnie Cox, Lisa Ellabacher, Steve Burkoff, and Jonathan Banks appear in sporting roles. I think they're missing Bronson Pinchot's name there, uh, who played Serge. Serge. So I don't know why they skipped him, because uh, that was a great piece of comic relief. Uh, the first film in the series uh, shot Murphy to uh, stardom. It earned uh, $234 million 
uh, at the American box office and was the highest grossing 84 film. Again, I'll skip the plot. Uh, production in, in 77, Paramount uh, executive Don Simpson uh, came up with an idea about a cop going from East Los Angeles to Beverly Hills. Uh, screenwriter Danilo Bach was called in to write the screenplay. He pitched his idea to Simpson and Paramount in 81 called Beverly Drive about a cop from Pittsburgh named Ellie Axel. How it was a, more of an action film and Bach was forced to make changes and the project went stale. Uh, with the success of Flashdance, uh, Simpson saw this Beverly Hills movie as the next big thing. Uh, Daniel Petrie, P-E-T-R-I-E, Jr., was brought in to rewrite the script, and they loved his humorous approach. He called the character Axel Ellie from Detroit, and Jerry Bruckheimer, he claimed uh, it was uh, Axel Foley and was offered to Mickey Rourke, who signed a $400,000 holding contract. But with all the revisions, uh, his contract expired and Rourke left. Then was sent to Sylvester Stallone, who, who he did a rewrite and made it into an action film. And one of the drafts written for Stallone, uh, really, Billy Rosewood was called Sidons, and he got taken out. And it was called, the character, lead character was Alex Cabretti. And uh, Michael Tandino was his brother. Uh, Stallone has said that his script for Beverly Hills Cap was like the opening scene from Save It Private Ryan. And the finale was me in a Lamborghini playing uh, chicken with an oncoming freight train uh, being driven by the bad guy. However, Stallone's ideas were too expensive to produce and then he pulled out two weeks before filming. Two days later, Simpson and Bruckheimer, the producers, convinced Eddie Murphy to replace Stallone, prompting massive rewrites. Besides uh, Stallone and Rourke, other people considered were Richard Pryor, Al Pacino, and James Caan. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop was uh, uh, well-received by critics and considered one of the best films of 84. Uh, Eddie Murphy got a lot of praise, obviously. So, I mean, we universally praised for the most part film, I think. It was released on, it was a holiday movie, December 5th, and played in 2,000, over 2,000 theaters. Made $15 million in the first five days, thanks to word of mouth. It made more money in the, uh, the second week. And the highest amount in this fourth week where it grossed $20 million, which would have been right around Christmas break. It stayed number one. Yeah, see? 14 consecutive weeks was a number one movie. And it's tied with Tootsie as the second most weeks at number one. First one is Titanic. It earned $234 million domestically. I mean, that's to be a blockbuster today. It also became the highest rating R-rated movie until Matrix Reloaded in 2003. Uh, adjusted for inflation, it's the third highest grossing R-rated film behind Exorcist and Godfather. I don't know, I think Hangover, has Hangover or Hangover 2 R? I think this is probably uh, inaccurate. I think Hangover and Hangover 2, they made a lot of money. So I don't, I don't know how accurate that is. I got a feeling one of those movies... But anyway, the film was the second highest grossing film worldwide in 84 behind Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. 
It's got a great soundtrack. And it's just a great movie. So that's two movies that remind me of uh, Bron and Jamie. You know, acting like, you know, knowing what they're doing and acting like buffoons. Uh, test, test, test. Right, everything's all set, Tom. And, right? Okay, you think I should do that? Okay. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank welcome you to another night of K-Pounds Theater. It's K-Pounds. K-Pounds Radio. I'm your announcer. Bar-a-phone. And I'm proud to present another night of uh, space theater. Uh, I mean, okay, here you go. Another episode of Tom and M. Pounce in Space. Joe, Joe, Dr. Panic. Well, now with Dr. Panic. <sighs> oh, shut up. We last left off. Uh, when we last left off with our, we last left off with our heroes, Sir Pounce and Tommen. Oh, man, do you remember what when we last left off? Um, I think I fell asleep until you said, "Hey, Pound, it was a, uh, was it the guy space arrest?" Okay, when we last left off, they had attempted the police had attempted to unjustfully arrest Tommen and Pounce. On charges of a paternity suit, which is a civil matter, which I explained to them because I heard the podman shouting it about jaywalking. And then the police said, oh, no, no, jaywalking. Shouting at a police officer is not a civil matter, and behaving uncivilly is never okay. And, oh, and, uh, and so we left left off with that, and they recruited with the, the delightful uh, behavior of... Uh, Sir Pounce and Tom, and best friends ever to, to discover space, be in space, explore space, or adventure in space. Best friends. Better friends than the sun and the stars, or the sun and the moon. I don't think the sun and the moon are friends. Uh, the sun and heat. Planets in orbit. Better friends than planet and... Good one, Podman. Thank you for writing that. Better friends than planets and orbits and gravi- gravi- gravitational... I don't understand your writing. Gravitational pulls. Sir Pounce and Tom, and we joined forces with Dr. Panic. Well, he did not join forces. We hire Dr. Panic, you, you're not allowed to write in stuff. Oh, jeez, I'm trying to make a show here to escape my normal life. Uh, and, and Dr. Panic had been recruited by Sir Pounce. They had stole, uh, no, Tom, and this is my show. Podman and me, Podman helps me. You two hit the Sir Pounce, you can watch, but it's my, I want this to be mine, Sir Pounce. Oh, okay, you're just trying to. Thank you. Thank you, Sir Pounce. You're so, such a friend. Best friend. Uh, he's a best friend here, best friend theater. We and, and then they got the engines and they're back in space as we join our heroes. Come back, by man. Re- reset. We'll do a reset of uh, another event. Oh, Dr. Panic saves. Dr. Panic. Okay. Another episode of Tom and Pounds in Space with now with Dr. Panic. Okay, good to see you. Uh, so Pounce, uh, Dr. Panic, I'm, I'm, uh, what, what is that, uh, strange beeping noise? Uh, I'm sorry, Sir Pounce, what, what did you say that was? Uh, Dr. Panic, could you, uh, diagnose what Sir Pounce is saying? 
The engine noise is so powerful it is a... I believe he said racist robes. I'm sorry, racist robes. What what is a racist robe? A racist robe, I believe. Racist robe. Well, uh, oh, yeah, uh, he said emergency something. It's a rescue, some sort of uh, race pro. Oh, it's a uh, distress signal, sir. Oh, very good for very good to host Dr. Penny Curtis. Yes, uh, Captain, you could call me Captain, Captain Tommen. Or, or sir, so we're just fine. Uh, thank you. Uh, put, put, put it up on the screen, uh, Sir Pounce. The uh, racist ro- or, uh, distress signal. Okay, I cannot understand what that is. It's a, is a, Dr. Panic, uh, please read me off the, uh, d- what the distress signal is saying. Oh, you say it was another language. I, I, give me one, Dr. Panic, please uh, consult your brain and determine which part of your brain will process this, this uh, distress signal. Okay, it's the old language. It's just coded. It uh, seems to be some sort of poem. Oh, dear. Poem distress signal. Okay, it says uh, K is for caring. E is for everything you love. L is for the love you have deep inside your guts. P is for pleasantness. Pooling in your heart. E. A is for an apple shape that is the same or close as your heart. L is for more love. Love, love, love. She loved you from the start. I'm sorry, is this a distress signal or is this a quiet? So did we accidentally... Uh, this was seems like a Meister-style school. One second, I'm still... Uh, I is for in trouble now, captured by the queen. N is for never to be freed and never to be seen. Okay. A is for... Uh, a lot of trouble, and soon to be on a pike. Uh, and that is the end of the message. Oh, sorry, Dr. Penn. Well, the end of the message. For Tom and Will not like. Okay, okay, let's see. So, what do you make of that, Dr. Panic? Well, I believe that I'd say that it's a message from someone who you love in trouble. Uh, what was that first thing? Was that uh, something about, uh, uh, was there something in there about the ocean? I believe I shall. I'm sorry, was it Ponce? Go again, say again. Oh, he says it's spelling something. I believe if we take the first letters, Klop, Kloplana, Kloplana. It says uh, Kloplana is the first if you spell out the letters. Okay, this is Dr. Panic. You haven't been with me in all my adventures. That stands for Capolina. Uh, goddess of the sea. What goddess of the uh, beginning of the sea of the kelp forest and, and keep goddess of the forest that surrounds Tommen's heart. Uh, how this is obviously from the Queen of Confusion. 
There's the queen mentioned in there. And this seems like a message sent to confuse me for Kalpalina is not in space. She she is she lives in both my heart and the in the sea. Under the sea and and we have said oh dear. I said goodbye to her. What do you say? Uh, she is the queen of confusion, keeping Kalpalina to confuse me. Well, she also has my sister, which confuses me a bit as well sometimes. But then I say, well, uh, I love Kalpalina. And, and then other worlds, I've loved others. I have many times. You believe it, I am a, I am a lover, but also a best friend. And that is what this story is about. And so she, the Queen of Confusion, is, do Dr. Panic, what do you rate this on as a lie? Is this a lie? Well, I'd say, I would say, Roger, my right brain says uh, yes, and my left brain says uh, probably. I would say 65% chance this is confusing. Oh, yes, it is. Uh, Oh, should we go? Do, do you have a response? Can you trace this signal back to its source? Right, right. What was I'm sorry. Did you say I'm insane in my membrane, Sapounce? Right, train. Well, train, train. Doctor Panic, could you? It was a best friendship when we're in professional environment. We we speak more formally. So then I say, what I don't understand. So I would like to run it. You know, you're the doctor on the ship. You, uh, you know, to, he's saying uh, one jump to, to terrain to something. He knows how to get there, I believe. Okay, okay. Well, should we? This, is, this is smells of a trap of manipulation, uh, Dr. Panic. Dr. Panic, I'm beginning to quiver which means my panic is growing from my normal panic state to a level, uh, you know, remember the whole thing with the panic attack alarm. Uh, Dr. Panic, should I panic or not? Do you think you should? What should we do? Well, I don't know. As a doctor, I could tell you to breathe. I could tell you to remain calm, but in the face of confusion and... uh, Double confusion, as this seems to be possibly triple confusion with your sister involved, and then four to quadruple confusion with the woman, and in fact, a metaphorical confusion. Confusing situations are a natural response to panic. And Dr. Panic always says, Panic, you didn't take, you said you were going to write me that well. Oh, yes, I forget that. There's a punchline for Dr. Panic saying well, next episode, possibly. Well, I'd say, Sapounce, as my best friend, you see me. You see me. What, what do you say, Sapounce? What, what do you say? Should we go or stay or run away? I stay. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, make the... Uh, explode? Oh, Spaceman's Code. Oh, what is the Spaceman's Code, Sir Tommen? Well, the Spaceman's Code is a code I swore before I became an academy student. And then they said, well, my, do you know who my father was? I am no student. Give me a ship. And then they said, oh, boy, this kid. And then I said, I am a captain, and this is my first mate and best friend, Sapounce. I will have a radio show. I will be the captain of a ship, and it will be called Hoppy One. Many other things. He said, he said, I said, and bring me two plates of food and then another for some pounce. Oh, but the spaceman's code, Dr. Panic, is a code you swear as a spaceman. 
for the people that have to go through the academy. But I just I said, give me the code. And they said, would you, the ship's code? Well, which code? He said, the spaceman's code. Well, could, I, could you tell it to me, Tom? Well, I forget it because I wasn't listening. But I think it has to do with uh, being, I said, uh, Oh, yes, uh, as a spaceman going to space, I solemnly swear uh, to leave the world behind. The reaches of... Mother Earth, Mother Earth, right, Podman was a Mother Earth, cannot grip me from afar. For my version in the stars, I don't remember. I'm just making it up. I say it was a. Okay, keep going. Uh, I promise not to fear what is not near, but look ahead on the screen and deal with what is there. As a spaceman, I will do my best and not to live in fear. Mistakes will be made, but the best I must do as a spaceman, and, and, uh, something, I, I, something. So it says leave. So I say this queen of confusion, she's trying to confuse me into doing nothing is what I believe. So Dr. Panic, what do you think is my third in command? The third in command, I believe you are a wise man, sir. I, I believe you are, uh, yes, sir. Yes, captain, my captain. Oh, excellent, excellent. So, Pounce, what do you say? Should we fall into this trap of confusion and say, if Kabbalina is there, we will save her. If my sister is there, we will save her. And we will say, no confusion. Queen of confusion, keep your confusion. You cannot make me do what you wish by saying, oh, wait, she's, we're doing what she wishes, though, Sir Pounce. What do you think? I for your attention. Wait, I should pay attention? Rintention. Rintention? I believe we're saying intention, sir. Oh, intention. Yes, I intend not to be confused, Queen of Confusion, as we launch. Sir Pounce, set a course for the signal. Where, where is it? Oh, no, it is not where I think it is. Yes, it he, he Did he say it's in the dark reaches of the fearful heart universe? I'll share, but I believe he did. Oh, he said, fearful heart. Oh, so the doctor panic, you're funny. Ah, no, he's, unfortunately, that is the place I fear to go most. Closest to the queen of confusion... Uh, is it, no, Sir Pounce, tell me it is not within her the reaches of her bedroom. Oh, dear, we must go to the the place where the queen does the most confusing things in her room. Why, she says many times to her enemies, why did you open that door? Where's Sir Marin? In other words, I mean, those are the things she says to confuse. And the things she does, I said, what a... Oh, goodness. Uh, but anyway, so, so, Dr. Pan, Sir Pounce, course is set for Queen of Confusion's room. We will go there. We will rescue my sister. We will rescue Kelpelaine, if that is what is happening. And we will not be confused. We will act. We will not act out. We will not scream. For in, 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 that's when they say, cover his mouth. 
And then they bit, you know, that one man I bit, and then she said, you know what I'm going to have to do to him now? I bit his finger. Anyway, I won't be confused. I won't be, I won't be manipulated, for I have intention, as the pound said. And I intend to save my sister. I intend to save Kirpalina, possibly. If you took her from, do you think, Sapounce, do you think she's in some sort of, uh, the uh, ocean box or space ocean, right? Wow. You don't know. Okay. So that is it. An adventure will be had, will be continued as we set course for the Queen of Confusion. She won't. Uh, her greatest weapon is confusing. She will have to go to a secondary weapon, for we won't be confused. We need to figure out. Dr. Panic. In all your years as a doctor, that's just what doctor since you told me I was a doctor before that I was a policeman. Oh, it's all your years as a doctor, so Dr. Panic. Have you ever encountered anything that can counteract confusion? Oh, sure. I'll have to go down to my—do I have a laboratory on the ship? You do have a laboratory. Why don't you go down to your laboratory and see what you can cook up, anti-confusion thing— or, you know, maybe a, something I could hum in my ears. Or, you know, something I could stuff in my ears. But then I would feel, oh, it was the one time they said, put some stuff in his ears. They said, I'm off, man, I'm on a ship, oh. And I fell down. Uh, what was that for? Oh, the sit. I said, I don't like that singing. Father, stop the singing. Um... Anyway, I'm not going to be confused by this. I am going to do what is right as a spaceman who forget. You know, I know some of the spaceman code. So, Sapounce, uh, what what is our destination time? Arrival time. Oh, what is our arrival time? Time to destination. Next week. Oh, so next week we will arrive in the bedroom of the Queen of Confusion. Be there. With I and Dr. Panic. Pa- oh, he's in his laboratory. And Dr. Panic and my best friend, Sir Pounce, as we battle the forces of confusion and manipulation to save one, if not two, women I love. This is Sir Tommen and Sir Pounce. Go, Bobman, come on. In space with Dr. Panic. Oh, yes. As, as I say, I feel a little bit better, Batman. I say, oh, your things are not well for time. And I say, could I tell you? I say, hey, um, I say, why try? I was afraid. That's okay, Tom. That's okay to be afraid. But it's better to tell the story anyways than uh, not than to me. I'm not. Yeah, I don't want to be in the dark, reach, darkest reaches of the heart universe either. Okay, Padman, you don't want, you don't care. No, I care, Tom, but I'm not your best friend, so it's better to whisper it to your best friend. Oh, you're so wise, Padman, as a commoner. You would not be able to relate to the problems of me, of course. So Pounce can much better. You're right. And, oh, yes, okay. Oh, see. Okay, well, good way. Okay, that's it. So, oh, you, oh, you, I get to do Oh, and thank you for tuning in to K-Pounce, best friend radio. Well, radio of best friends, uh, best friends everywhere. K-Pounce, signing off. Yeah, very good, Tom. 
said, okay, I, I'm laughing. I, I, I'm smiling and crying a little bit. Okay, let me ask you one more question before I go. I know you said you've got to shut this off, but if like, you have the sex, remember the sex I told you, make your love. If you can, you do that, and it stops. It's like, can you, can you, it feels like I'm going to, to die from not having, can you die from not having? It just feels that way. You, and you would know I'm sure, pod man. So I won't, won't die. Ask the maester. Okay, I'll ask the maester. Which maester? The, the creepy one that's not a maester. The, I don't have anyone else to talk to but you and my best friend. Okay, well, you're not going to die, Tom, and it's going to be fine. You'll be, you're going to do, just do your best. Okay, thanks, pod man. I'll go back to my world now. Uh, Crone, sweet, sweet Crone, Miller, Smith, Barky, Jester, it's me. It's Crone, Miller, Smith, yeah. It's me, your, um, uh, the supplicant and creator of your applicant, your app, app, app. We call it, you know, the app we're working on. Prayer, brain, brainstorm, prayer, hmm. Brain prayer? Well, you don't want a brain prayer. I don't want any storms in my brain, so please don't take that the wrong way. Brain, brainstorming. I don't know what you guys call it, because you, you, if your brain's operating on some God level, you might just be like, well, listen, we just think up stuff and then they say, hey, well, shoot, throw it on a lightning bolt, put it down there. Uh, you know, whatever this... Uh, you know, put put something in the creative. So, but I spent so I got I got a, we got a serious a serious um conference call because the app. So I say, you know, okay, here we we got our uh, idea complaint app, which you say, oh, geez, Eli pointed out that some well, not they, that guy doesn't have an app on our level yet. Because we haven't even hit all the, you know, levels of apps. But I said, well, we maybe we got to, uh, we got to talk about, re- I don't know, they don't call it revenue in the internet business. They call it something else, guys. I don't, source, no. I don't say they call it revenue. Yeah, believe it or not, guys, a lot of these internet companies aren't making any money. You could say, hey, say what? Uh, they might have a high valuation. And I say, if you think about it too much, in my case, my brain starts to hurt. And then I just lie. I said, well, I better lie down here. I'm trying to think how you could use it. Is that making any money? Wait, Uber's worth more than the country of France? I don't get it. I don't understand how that's possible. So I better rely. I said, well, geez, if you own, oh, well, yeah, my, my cousin Benny. He worked at a, he polished the Uber guy's shoes. So, yeah, he got, you know, 1% of the company. He's a paper billionaire. That's why you rent so much. And just reckon, you know, hey, save it for the complaint app. And I'd say, great job. Yes, that's good. That's good, a team. But I said, guys, we got to figure out a couple of things. Maybe they call it a revenue stream. I don't think they call it that, though. They say, hey, are you growing? You need some growth. Guys, have you been watching Silicon Valley? Because remember I said in one of the other non-recorded prayers, please check this show out, gods. This is what I'm talking about. 
and this is some ideas, but we, you know, with a, we, we want less nonsense because that's for our fun or entertainment to watch that. But I say a couple of things with the app scats. One, are we going to charge for our app? Is, is it going to be free? And you might say, well, it's easy. Is it free? Or you might say, some of you might say, well, it's easy. Charge. And you say, well, are we at 99 cents or are we going for a premium? And they say, well, two ninety nine, three ninety nine. They said, "Well, what to complain? No, no, yeah, it's got to be free." And they said, "Well, free or freemium?" And you might say, "Whoa, whoa, I've been up. I guess I've been off the earth too long. What the hell is that? Uh, some kind of made-up word? It, exactly. It basically means uh, what does freemium mean? Like, uh, kind of works. Kind of works." Like say, God, you know my they. Oh, you know you got. I got that new bike, right? Ten speed, another ten speeder. I got. Let's just say I bought a ten speed. You say, okay, well, freemium then. And I guess this this is a bad metaphor, gods. But let's say, yeah, let's say it was a forty speed bike, and they said, hey, we're giving these bikes away, freemium bikes, freemium. Maybe, maybe gods, think about this. Should we start this? Freemium bike company, it, not an app, though. This would be a physical product, guys. They don't do freemium very much with physical products. But we could do it maybe with this bike. We could test it out. New, newest in a bike technology, 40 threadless gears. I don't know, you know, disc, disc gearing system, integrated motions, you know, 40 gears, freemium bike. Initial purchase does not include, it only includes the one gear that's a giant pain in the ass. The gear that is both, you know, you can't even go up any incline and you have to have thighs like, uh, you know, like uh, Gregor Clegane style level thighs. But yeah, if you unlock, you can unlock five gear, you could buy a gear pack, one gear, 99 cents. You could buy all the lower gears. You know, we have a lower gear pack. It's two ninety nine. Yeah, middle gear pack two ninety nine. Upper gear pack two ninety nine. Full gear pack. So that's six, but four ninety nine for full gear access. A year for for a year. That that's what it would cost. And you say, what's he say? So I don't mean to be distracting with physical products, guys, but that's what freemium is. So for our app, it'd be like, I don't. I guess we're kind of screwed with the free because it's like, wait, you want me to charge? You're going to charge me to complain? I can do that for free. It's called a you know friendship or a relationship. I complain, you know, complaint box. Since uh, so, I don't know if people would say, and then I don't know. We I guess, guys, that's what I'm calling brainstorming. Uh, you guys need to think of some freemium features we could unlock with this complaint app uh, that we could charge for. You say, what's free to put your complaint in the, hide your complaint away. Hide your complaint away with complaint box. Shout it or scribble it or uh, scramble it down. Put it in a box and it'll ease your frown. Complaint box. But we need to think of some freemium features we could premium. I think they call them premium features. They say, well, we're going for sustained growth, you know, explosive growth with the Complaint Box app. 
Well, you know, we could have like a 99 cents. We'll directly email. Yeah, for 99 cents, we could email the company. Well, I guess we're blocking it away, though. So that doesn't work. This is where one way brainstorms usually a team effort, gods. I was thinking about skywriting. You say, hey, $2.99, like, this would be like a, we could pull a sharing economy, gods. How about this? Uh, I don't know anything about the skywriting business. And I don't know if you guys, the planes that write signs in the sky, they're really falling out of favor. But maybe that's where we could bust out the sharing economy and say, well, geez, if you have an extra, if you're out skywriting and then you say, well, I wrote happy birthday, Sherry, or Larry, will you marry me? Uh, we, we say, well, geez, sharing. So you see, you still got some smoke in there. We got a two ninety nine roll your own uh, sky ro- sky writing roll your own something. It's like what well, was a sky writing randomizer. At some point, was you know we we could give him an estimate. Say, oh geez, a Joe Bob down there, not in your state, but he's about a sky writing run. You have the two ninety nine sky writing upgrade. He's gonna sky write it. He's got about you know extra forty five letters. Go ahead and punch in a complaint. And we could be, you know, take a picture of it. It would be legit, though, guys. We wouldn't fake pictures, you know, jester. I'd say, well, geez, okay. so that's one thing, sky, skywriting upgrade. That would be unique, sharing economy. Well, I was thinking, I said, oh, well, we could do signs. The planes tow the signs. I don't know. Well, maybe not. The blimps. Yeah, we could get into stadium boards, and but I don't know. Then you say lawsuit. Yeah, probably a lawsuit. Good point, Barky. You're always on that lawsuit watch, watching out for the lawsuits. That's good. Uh, you know, thank you, Barky. Uh, what about uh, sing singer complaint? We could uh, that could be another upgrade. We could do like a how about a, a cookie upgrade? It's just like you just say punch up or down, left right, left right, A B A, and then you get a auto tune your complaint. That that was funny like five years ago, but we could bring that back because auto tunes the thing that goes like so you could sing your complaint in auto tune and be like. Uh, Corporate restaurant, I'm so sick of your frozen shit. Ooh, my brownie was way too dense. That's that's more of a country singer. I'm not good at faking autotune. is almost physically impossible, guys. Just so you know. Well, that could be same, that would be unlocked. But then we could say, well, two ninety nine singer upgrade. Again, sharing economy. We say, hey, Silvertone. You you you're still you well say hey was it uh I don't know we'll say hey you're recording a song just keep singing after the music stops or maybe we could contract it out to singers and say hey we're gonna sing your complaint you know and you pick your genre I just uh, I got Michael McDonald what a fool believes this money back guarantee. It's fucking bullshit. I bought that thing and they wouldn't take it back. I said, the signs says 100% money back guarantee. 
what a fool, will you? you know, like that gets. Uh, but actually, some maybe somebody that was good at singing, we'd hire. You say, oh, 99 cents, someone like Scooter, $1.99, someone like the Silvertone, maybe two ninety nine. probably get a premium. Uh, oh, what do you, guys, I can feel your brain in me in, 25 cents if I sing it. Okay, funny, that's funny. Uh, what are the, we say, I can hear you guys, I can hear you complain. You say, well, geez, those are sounding more low-margin ideas because you got to hire humans. Do you anything we well, the big thing? It's the only freemium game I play a lot, and I haven't played it in a year or two. Is Temple Run Two? That's a successful freemium game because it, they don't. It doesn't feel sleazy. They say, "Hey, we got this funny thing." You, they give you a lot of free stuff anyway, but then they say, "Hey, you you all, you could do this faster if you pay the for the gold pack and one ninety nine. But it's not like you guys sit around like some of these battle games and wait for stuff to generate forever. You don't, guys. I don't. I don't want to get you involved in apps because it'll be you. Then you'll be smoting people everywhere, and I don't want to be. Let's start a smote off. Well, that we could do though. Whoa, yeah, gods. Twenty thousand dollar up. Well, they say we. They say sometimes they say you know the way stuff's going in America here. They say, like, well, geez, things aren't so good for the wage-earning class, the working class. And I say, well, geez, what do you mean? Is that different than the middle class? It's just people that work for a living. Whether they make, you know, you know, 30000 or even $300,000. Primary income comes from, you know, going to a job and getting paid or doing a job and getting paid or maybe running a small business and doing some service or selling something. But then you get these other people that most of their money comes from income investments and stuff. And they say, well, she's more and more of those people are controlling more and more of the money. And they say, a lot of people say, well, market that. A lot of podcasts say, well, just, just sell something that's freaking wicked expensive and you get a couple of rich guys to buy it. Like for me, they'd say, well, I tried it, didn't work. I said, well, I come to your house, I'll tell you a bedtime story. Ten grand. No takers, but I didn't really aggressively sell it because I said I don't really want to do it because they, you know, would be weird and creepy. And I said, I usually get into fights with guys like that. I say, the bedtime story's over. Give me my check. I say, I, you know, and then they would be the one with Michael. He said his story had a money back guarantee, but he described it as screaming at me. Crazy podcast guy. Let's see. So we go with a super premium option where you smote somebody. Uh, maybe 20, 20 grand upgrade. Smoting's probably well, it can be illegal for you guys. Selling a smoting device is probably illegal though. It's and then the NSA or somebody would be like, hey, how do we get? We need that smoter to you know protect your freedom to protect the. To, the freedom to smote someone needs to be protected uh, by smoting. So that's, maybe that won't work either. But I think that's an idea it gets. Think about the super premium option. Or we could just do it for the love of complaining, guys. That's the other thing. I don't know which if which one you was going to bark at, say you and your trees could be the coders, and say, well, we're going to code this up for you. 
And I don't know which one. I think I signed one. You find out what API is because that wasn't my job. So I still don't know what that means. But people say that API, drop some CSS. You know, are you going to do that in JavaScript or Ruby on Rails? Because, you know, you better make sure. And they say, then the, you could be the other person. We need an action plan, action oriented. You know, GTD formatting on that thing, you know, fully funded. Uh, would, uh, we got some Series B funding coming in, but that was just, you know, to give Scooter a raise because he stubbed his toe. You know, Series E funding, no doubt, no doubt about it. I don't know what that means. There's no doubt about that. Uh, so that's, uh, I think I had a point in there, guys, and then I got mixed up with all those stuff I was saying. Uh, was it, well, super. Oh yeah, should we just go free and say, well, geez, we just love compl- We want to p- empower the people to complain and free themselves of the complaints. It's a health app, freeing your complaints out of yourself. That's bogging you down, maybe physically making you ill. Who knows? So that's a possibility, guys. What do you think about that? So think about it. I mean, you guys don't need any money. I I need money. But mostly, you know, I want it. You know, I don't necessarily, I, I get by. And I say, well, geez, it'd be nice if I, but then I say, well, geez, I'd be in business with the gods. That would be tricky because we don't have a corporate agreement set out, right? Oh, boy. You guys are volatile personalities. I know that much. So maybe I got to reconsider. Maybe I'll make, I don't know. But anyway, guys, that's my proposal. Freemium, premium, or nemium, nemium, no charge, but no freemium either. I'm trying to think what games I, another game is Chip Chain. You probably noticed, well, I cut out the Chip Chain and I went back to it. But that's a low freemium. You get a lot of mileage out of just playing it. Uh, well, I'm trying to. I don't. Play, I try to avoid the apps, guys. Other than that, was that Angry Birds Racing game in Temple Run Two. So that's it. Think about it, and you know, get back to get back to me or don't. You know, I am not planning on it. I guess I'll try to think. Of it. And then I'll say, well, see, okay, here's our agenda for next week, guys. Me talking talk and you listening listens like a dream come true my service to you gods oh so crone sweet sweet crone miller smith barky jester uh thank you for the honor let's figure at least give me the api you know we know what that is do we want to android and ios gods windows phone what do you think about that i don't know all right i'll be with you good night gods